0: Good morning brothers and sisters, it is a joy and an encouragement to be uh, with you this morning after being out of town for uh, a couple of weeks and uh, it is a privilege uh, for me to bring you this morning's message uh, from Psalm 16, the 16th Psalm, uh, which uh, in the Supplied Bible is on page 423. Yeah, I better turn there, too. Following Jesus is not easy. Amen? If you have been a Christian for a while, you probably know this. For some of us, it may not have been very difficult to confess our faith in Christ, undergo baptism, uh, join a church. But sooner or later, if we are sincerely seeking to follow in the footsteps of our Lord, we will find that He asks more of us than we had first expected. To be a faithful disciple of Jesus is going to cost you more than a couple of hours on Sunday morning. Uh, Jesus warned about this himself. Uh, In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To follow Jesus is to continually deny sinful desires that come so natural to us, Uh, and to devote our time, our effort, our resources to serving in His kingdom. And for believers in many places, following Jesus may come at the cost of their job, at the cost of their freedom, even at the cost of their very lives. So if following Jesus requires so much sacrifice, why should we choose this life? Why would we lay aside opportunities to enjoy the sinful pleasures of the world around us? Why shoulder the responsibility uh, of caring for one another's burdens? Why give generously of our time and treasure to serve the Lord's church? Why would people who are free to serve themselves choose instead to become servants of Christ? Well, I'll tell you. Because while the cost of discipleship is great, the reward is far, far greater. So um, turn with me, if you will, or or if you have already turned there, to Psalm 16. Um, Psalm 16 is a declaration and a celebration of the rich rewards God gives to those who have committed their lives to Him. This psalm is so full of the joy of the Lord, it makes my heart dance. Often when I want to express my praise to God for the excellence of His grace in my life, I can find no better words than verses from this psalm. Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you... The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This morning, uh, we'll talk about this psalm with three themes. Faithful commitment, joyful gratitude, and eternal hope. Faithful commitment, joyful gratitude, and eternal hope. So first, we'll look at David's commitment. As we look at the opening verses of this psalm, we hear David proclaiming his faithful commitment to God. We hear the heart of a man who has resolved, who has committed that he will find his joy, his hope, his protection, his satisfaction in God. And listen to the way he begins. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. From the very first word, preserve, we hear that David is addressing his plea not to the memory of an ancient myth, not to some abstract guiding principle, uh, not to an impersonal force of nature, but to the living God. God. Only a God who listens, hears, understands, uh, and responds can act to preserve David's life. Only to a personal God does it make sense for David to, um, to, to ask him to preserve his life. And it is to this loving, personal God that David commits himself, trusting that God will give him the protection that he needs. He goes on and says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, at first glance, it might seem that David is repeating himself. Uh, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Why tell the Lord that he is Lord? Uh, He knows who he is, doesn't he? But if we read a little more carefully, we see two things. First, David says, To the Lord, you are my Lord. And also, we see that in most Bibles, um, the word Lord, the first word Lord, is in all caps, whereas the second word Lord is not. Now, as as many of you know, there are two different Hebrew words um, commonly translated as Lord. There There are still more names for God, but there are two that are usually translated as Lord. Lord in all caps is used to translate Yahweh or I am, the personal covenant name of God that He revealed to Moses, that He revealed to the children of Israel at the burning bush. Now this name refers only to the one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And the second word, Lord, uh, not in all caps, Uh, is translating the, the name or the word Adonai, meaning a lord, a master, someone who has authority over you. So you could also translate this statement, I say to Yahweh, you are my master. In other words, David is committing himself. He's surrendering himself to God's lordship. I once attended an organized debate between a Christian and an atheist um, debating about who Jesus is, and the event was titled Lord, Lunatic, or Liar, Uh, after uh, the uh, famous theme by uh, C.S. Lewis, the famous question by C.S. Lewis. Now, the Christian apologist came prepared with a bunch of historical and logical Um, reasons to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is God-made man, that he is not a liar, not a lunatic, but that he truly is the Lord, and he made a pretty good case. But to my surprise, when the atheist took the stage, he said, well, he's not my Lord, and he went on to explain not why the Christian's arguments were not true, but why he didn't like Jesus' authority, why he did not approve of his lordship. Uh, And regardless of what the facts might be, he had decided that he would never believe in or acknowledge him as Lord. Now, obviously, whether I acknowledge God as Lord doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. But it makes every difference in my own life and how I experience His Lordship now and forever. So David uh, is committing himself to uh, God as his Lord. In verse 2, David goes on, "...as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight." David is committed not only to love God, but to love his people. He rejoices that God has called a people for himself. He is encouraged to see God's power and glory uh, demonstrated in the lives of those who worship him. He sees others who are walking with God, and he says, Yes, I am so happy to see that. I want to be like that. Those are my people. God loves his own, and he wants us to love each other. Uh, 1 John 3, 11 through 13 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because... His own deeds were evil, and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. For the person who is going through the motions of religion, those who seem to be loving and following God faithfully are not a delight, they're a threat. If my concern for my spiritual life is that it looks good to others, uh, then uh, someone who truly loves God is exposing something that is phony in my heart, uh, loosening the straps on my religious mask and threatening to tear it off. But for those of us who are experiencing something of the joy of Christ in our lives, other believers are a mirror of the goodness of God in our own life, a reminder of God's love for us, an encouraging example of what is ours in Christ. Uh, David is committed to love God and he's committed to love his people. I'm so thankful for the men and the women of this church family whom I see Uh, loving God and each other week in and week out. It is a delight and an encouragement to me to see you studying God's Word, talking about His grace, striving against sin, taking care of each other in need. And by the way, um, I've been so encouraged, and Alberta and her family has been so encouraged by your prayers and your support, Um, during uh, a time when um, our our family in Portland is is just going through um, a a lot of burdens, a lot of um, uh, medical hardship. Um, So uh, thank you. You are a refreshment and an encouragement and a reminder of God's love for us. Thank you so much. David delights in those who are faithful to God, but then he sadly considers those who follow after another god instead verse 4 the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply their drink offerings of blood i will not pour out or take their names on my lips David commits himself not to throw his lot in with those who are worshiping false gods. Um, Let's see, in this life we, we all have sorrows, but David says that those who run after another god will tragically multiply their sorrow. Now that's the opposite of what everyone wants, right? Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants relief and comfort when they have sorrow, but too often we look for happiness, we look for comfort um, in all the wrong places. Those who worship carved images hope and expect to get relief from their sorrow or to uh, gain uh, success and prosperity. So do we, when we take our... Uh, sorrows to idols of power, uh, idols of money, uh, idols of physical pleasure, but these false gods have no power to save us. They will always stab us in the back. When we take our pain to these false gods, they may distract us from it for a while, but it comes back worse than ever. If I turn to alcohol as an idol to uh, comfort me in my distress, I will find that the more I drink, the more reason I have to drink. If I turn to money as an idol, I will find that I never have enough to satisfy me. If I look for my fulfillment in the praise of men, I'll find that it is fleeting, it's shallow, it is easily withdrawn. The sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply. David says, Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David commits himself not to throw in his lot with those who worship false gods. He knows that that is the way of misery and ruin and he's not going there. The very acts of false worship, um, uh, confessing the names of false gods uh, or pouring out drink offerings of blood to them, are, they're repulsive to David. They're abhorrent to David uh, as they are offensive to God. David is not hedging his bets. He has committed himself to the care and protection of God only and he will not look for favors from the gods of the peoples around him. Um, May the Lord give us uh, courage and alertness to do likewise. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, David says in verse 5. You hold my lot When I was a kid, I loved to go with my family to Golden Corral. Uh, And now that I have a family of my own, I love it again. Um, Buffets are really great for families. Uh, They're they're great for other people too, but uh, especially when you have got a a bunch of kids trailing behind you. Um, And of course, the best thing about Golden Corral is the all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, you look over all the options. Uh, you take a little of this and a little of that. You get back to your table with a plate with a little portion of eight different things, and um, you uh, you eat those. Uh, hopefully, you actually do finish them all. But uh, but then you um, you go back and you either take more of whatever you thought was best, or maybe you get eight new things. Um, but. Um, but the, the, uh, the world is your oyster at, um, at the buffet. Um, well, commitment to God is not like that. God is not willing to be an option on your plate along with the garlic bread, macaroni, and popcorn shrimp. David says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Um, David is filling his plate with God only. He is filling his cup with God only. And David is trusting God to satisfy all of his needs, all of his desires, his true desires. He's he's willing to give up the sinful pleasures that other gods have to offer because he has faith that God is all that he needs. If you want to experience the rewards of following Christ, you are going to need to commit yourself to God in faith, like David did. Believe that God will supply all that you need. Trust Him for your protection, for your provision, for your happiness. This commitment is both a decision at a point in time And it is an ongoing process. When we decide for the first time to follow Jesus, we commit our lives to Him and we trust Him with everything that follows, all the unknowns of a lifetime. But then each morning when we get up, we should commit ourselves to the Lord for that day. And when we find ourselves wandering from our commitment and looking for satisfaction in the wrong places, we should renew our commitment to God. The words of Psalm 16 are a great place to start. And you will find that when you commit yourself to the Lord, He is far more satisfying than the buffet of pleasures the world has to offer. Because David has committed himself to God, he enjoys satisfaction in God. And that satisfaction leads him to joyful gratitude for what God has given him. So that's our our second theme, joyful gratitude. David rejoices in the generous providence of God. Look with me at verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, in David's time, most people lived by farming. They either had a farm or they worked on someone's farm. Um, The most precious possession that most people uh, in living in Israel would have was the plot of land that they owned and they worked. And um, most people, uh, you you could buy or sell land with some caveats, but most people, um, they they hadn't gone out and looked for a piece of land and decided to buy it. The land had been allotted to the people by their tribe and by their family um, at at the time of the conquest, and handed down uh, from one generation to the next. You, You inherited Um, The the family farm from your father. Um, You didn't choose what land belonged to you, nor could you control what that land was like. But whether that land was flat or hilly or dry or well-watered or accessible or isolated or fertile or rocky, uh, whatever that The characteristics were of that land and where it was located, it made a huge difference to your life. It it changed how you spent your time and and, uh, what your return on your time was. Uh, Now, David is recognizing uh, that whether we have a farm or not, most of us don't, but our lives are like that. The circumstances of our lives are largely not chosen by us. They are given to us. Um, What we are and who we have, I'm sorry, uh, what we have and who we are is all a gift from God. And when David contemplates what God has given him, his heart is full of gratitude. Now, if we reflect on the life of King David, we shouldn't think that it was all a bed of roses. Now, he was a king, which many of us, uh, probably all of us, are not. Um, but, um, but nevertheless, David's path was a difficult one. Um, he was the youngest son of a big family. Um, and, uh, and David was seemingly considered to be the least important son by his father. When God chose David... Uh, when God God did choose David to be Israel's next king, he spent years on the run as King Saul tried to kill him. Uh, When he received the kingdom, um, David's life experience was one of frequent war and struggle uh, against the enemies of Israel. And at one point, his own son Absalom started a rebellion against him and forced David to flee for his life. So David knew all about danger. He knew all about hardship, deprivation, grief, suffering. David experienced those things. I think that's part of why when you even read this psalm and many others, you see David prizes security so highly because he knew what it was like for his life to be anything but secure. He knew what it's like to be in danger of losing everything. But at the same time, David's life was also marked by the unique blessing of God. God gave David not just any kingdom, but the kingdom of his chosen people. Um, He blessed him with wealth and ultimately with victory over those enemies. And not only that, but God gave David an absolutely unique promise, the promise of an everlasting dynasty that one of his descendants, namely Jesus, would rule over Israel forever. And besides that, God filled David with his spirit and called him a man after God's heart. David's life was not one of ease and safety, but it was one of blessing and joy. Now, when we look at our own lives, we see that God has called us to a variety of circumstances. Some of us have more worldly privileges than others. Some of us face greater earthly challenges and suffering than others. And yet God has generously provided for each one of us. Take time often to consider the blessings that God has placed in your life, both the circumstances, the people, that the ways he's provided for you that he's, that he's put in your life. Um, and, uh, and most of all, if you're a Christian, um, the, uh, the spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ. The splendor uh, that awaits you in glory. The, uh, the privilege of belonging to the family of God and uh, the treasure uh, that is waiting for us at the resurrection. Um, so, whether you are going through an, a, a, a joyful season or a difficult season in your life, you, if you're a Christian, you have a beautiful inheritance too. Um, not only does David rejoice in the generous providence of God, but he exults in the loving guidance of God. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. God not only gives us a beautiful inheritance, but he offers us the blessing of his wisdom in our daily lives. Wise counsel is a wonderful gift from God, whether it comes from his word, whether it comes from the prompting of his spirit, whether it comes through the words of a wise friend, there is great peace and security in living by the counsel of God. There are so many things going on around us that we don't see, that we don't know about, um, that can help or harm us physically and spiritually. We're so limited as human beings in our knowledge. We can't see what's going on. We can't see what's going on in the other room, let alone in the heavenly realms. Um, We can't see the dangers and opportunities that are waiting for us in our workplace or in our home. Um, We can't see, uh, and we certainly can't see the traps that Satan and his demons are busily laying for us, trying to destroy our bodies and our souls. But God sees everything that's going on. He knows how it is all working together, both in this world and in the spiritual realm. And as Christians, we can be confident knowing that He is leading us. We don't have to stumble blindly through life when we have a sure and a steady guide in in God. David says, in the night also, my heart instructs me. Do you you look to your heart for instruction? Um, What does David mean by that? Well, when we're in Christ and have the Holy Spirit living in us, He speaks to our inner selves, and He gives us direction for how to live our lives. Christian, you should listen. To your heart, though the heart of the natural man is deceitful and treacherous, yet the heart of the man who is following Jesus is being renewed. It's, it's in step with and it's being influenced by his spirit. Now, our hearts are not infallible, and they can be influenced by things that are not of God as well. But by the grace of, of God, we can receive instructions through and, um, and, and even uh, in our hearts. God's loving counsel to us not only gives us security and courage, but it gives us the joy and comfort of knowing that we are not alone. Um, David is, is glad to have the security of receiving counsel from God and knowing that he is walking in God's path. But I think that uh, an even greater delight for him is knowing that God is there with him. I remember a time in my life when I was considering some important decisions and I, I got to the point where I just really didn't know what to do. I was so unsure of myself. I was so afraid of making the wrong choice for the wrong reason, and the anxiety was just eating me alive. Um, and one day, I just like, I was at work, I just walked out of the office to my car, um, and, uh, and I sat in my car, banging on the steering wheel. And I said, uh, God, I don't know what to do, I need help. And after a while, I went back in the office and and tried to continue working. And about an hour after that, I got a call out of the blue from one of my brothers um, who asked me how I was doing. And uh, I mean, uh, like the the phone's always there, but uh, I mean, he and I don't really talk on the phone that much. We'll visit each other, but that was not expected. And I knew that that wasn't just happenstance. That was an answer to my prayer. Uh, I told him about the struggle that I was having, and uh, he listened, and he just really gave me exactly the comfort, the acceptance, and the good, wise counsel that I needed in that moment. And while his advice to me was good, um, I found, as I walked back into work that I had received more than advice from my brother. I had gotten an answer to prayer, and with that, an assurance that God loved me, that He was leading me, that He was walking with me through these circumstances, that He was present with me. See, when I I remember that, when I'm convinced of that, Um, I don't have to be full of anxiety about making a mistake because God hasn't left me to fend for myself. He's he's caring for me as a father. He's present with me in all that I do. In verse 8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me, Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Um, Look at the first part of that verse. I have set the Lord always before me. This is is a great uh, great example of what commitment looks like, kind of going back to our theme of commitment. Um, I have set the Lord always before me is a completed action and a continual posture. Um, so um, David is, is committed to continuing to set the Lord before him, set before the Lord before him. Um, this is a great way to think about um, our daily time in prayer and in the Word. Um, I think that... Um, um, most of us know that, that, that prayer and spending time in the Word should be a uh, daily discipline for us. Um, sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes we do better than others, and sometimes it seems like we're going through the motions of it. But if we, if we think about the object of our devotion as setting the Lord continually before us, um, That's that's a great way to think about it, a great way to remember what we're doing. Um, The reward is that whatever happens, we will not be shaken. We will have comfort and confidence in God, and our faith in Him will give us strength. If you want to be unshakable, set the Lord always before you. So David rejoices that God has given him a beautiful inheritance, has blessed him with loving counsel, and has given him an unshakable confidence. But God has also given his people an eternal hope. Let's see. In um, in verse 9, David says, "'Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices.'" My flesh also dwells secure." Because of his confidence in God, David is full of the peace and the joy of the Lord. Um, In the next verse he says, "'For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption.'" Sheol is a Hebrew word for the place of the dead. It's translated into Greek as Hades. We we could just say death. Um, But David is saying more than just that God is protecting his life. He, He knows that his life is safe with God, but he is also declaring his hope in the resurrection. The Apostle Peter quoted this psalm in his first gospel sermon in Acts 2, realizing that this verse was prophetically referring to Jesus. Starting in Acts 2.29, Peter pointed out that part of what David says here doesn't fully apply to David himself. Um, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Do you see what Peter is saying here? He's showing us why this psalm can't refer to David only, because the psalm says, in effect, God's not going to let me die and rot. But in the case of David, although he had an amazing life, he did die, and he was buried And his body decomposed just like everybody else's. But not so with Jesus, who, um, as Peter reminds us, was born a descendant of David and heir to the throne of Israel. Jesus faced death, yes, but God did not leave him to rot in his tomb. Instead, he was raised back to life on the third day, never to die again. In Jesus, The promise in this psalm is perfectly fulfilled. So, but did God trick David in this psalm? Um, It sure sounds like David is claiming this promise for himself, doesn't it? For God to fulfill the promise in Jesus may work for his purpose for all history, but uh, does that really help out King David? Well, it does. It sure does, because the death and resurrection of Jesus was not just for Jesus, but it was for all people who have put their faith in God throughout history. Jesus' resurrection um, is a glorious display of God's power and faithfulness, but it's more than that. It's a guarantee that we who are in Jesus will also be resurrected at the last day. In the last verse of this psalm, verse 11, uh, David says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As David has mentioned earlier in this psalm, God is able to use his word, to use uh, his spirit, to use his people to impart knowledge uh, to uh, guide us. But the knowledge that he gives us is not just knowledge to satisfy our curiosity. Uh, God is most interested in giving us the knowledge that leads to life, that is the gospel. Um, and um, and that life, um, that life is not just a longer life. It's not even just a, f- a life that never ends, although it is that. But it's a life that is free from the sentence of death that our sin deserved. And as David says, it's a life of eternal delight in the presence of God, in Your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God calls us at times to difficult things. He takes us through um, some dark valleys sometimes. But uh, God is for our joy. He is for our pleasure. He is the author of pleasure, uh, and he is the perfecter of it if you have this hope, walk in the light of it. Remember the the treasure that is yours in Christ. Remember the blessings of God in your life. Um, Take time to um, listen to the guidance of God, to rejoice at his presence with you. Um, and remember your eternal hope. Um, Our our life here is meant to be lived in light of our life there in the the future resurrection. And if you don't have this hope, God is offering it to you. Um, He offers it to you. Uh, John 6.37 uh, says, and Jesus Jesus, uh, spoke these words, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Um, God has, has made it possible through Christ for you to be uh, forgiven of your sins uh, and to become part of his family and heir to these wonderful blessings that David celebrates. Let's pray together, if you will, with me. Dear Father, um, I thank you for uh, the, the wonderful gifts that you have given, both. Uh, gifts of uh, material and, and, and physical help, protection, and gifts of spiritual blessing. Um, Lord, you, you are my Lord. You are our Lord, and we have no good apart from you. Um, I pray that you would help us to delight ourselves in you and in your people, the things that you have given.